I'm glad to be back. It was a nice, you know, this is, it was gone for a few weeks. I was back here sitting. I was here last week in the flesh, but I don't know that I was actually here present. I was somewhere between here and, and Europe, I think, mentally. And so it's good to be back. Um, I, uh, it's just a nice time of refreshing. I don't think I've had th- that many weeks off of not preaching in, since in the last five years. So to miss three weeks for me was like a big deal. Like I preached once in September. And so I'm glad to be back. You know, three weeks ago, I was at church when they, in Italian, then Spanish. And then last week was English. But I've learned through all of those experiences that the place I like to be during church is right here. Because I can talk and move around, stretch out, and that sort of thing. And, um, but we're continuing through Luke chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 11, uh, verse 14. Um, concerning the meeting after church. Uh, you know, Deborah has just a, got a sweet spirit about her. Um, I forget when the tsunami in in Japan was, what month that was, but it was within this last year. And, you know, she sent me an email, said, Gunner, I really, well, no, she said Pastor Gunner, because she, you know, I, I'm okay with you guys calling me Gunner, but some people like calling Pastor Gunner. And uh, she said, Pastor Gunner, I want to raise some money to help the people in Japan. And... Um, my goal is I'd like to raise a hundred bucks. And I was like, well, I'm totally okay with you raising money for Japan, but I guarantee if you do the announcements, like we're going to have to like add a, a zero on there because a hundred bucks is easy. Like, come on, you're a young girl. Like you get up there and say what you want to say. And she raised like $1,600 or something for, you know, to go to Japan. And then, you know, probably a couple months later, she sent me another email, pastor gunner, uh, could, does Alternatives Women's Center, could they use a, an ultrasound machine? And, you know, I'm on the board of directors for, for the Women's Center, and, and I said, well, like, did you, did you find one at a garage sale or something? Like, what? I'm like, I mean, they use them, but, like, how you... And she's like, no, I want to raise money and buy one. And I kind of like, I'm like, um, they cost, like, $35,000 to get one. And she wrote back and said, well, they probably take a lot of money to run, right? And I'm like, yo, yeah. And she's like, well, we want to do a rummage sale. I want to do a rummage sale. Would you let me do this? And I'm, of course, of course. This is just, you know, what a sweet heart to, to want to do this. And, and I don't know about you, but I can't raise my hand if the question was asked, how many of you have actually done a rummage sale? I can't do it. So, okay, I have one volunteer back there, Miss Patches volunteer, Jill just volunteered. No, just like, <laughs> so we are, we are. Oh, you <laughs> You know, there's a teacher back there that knows all the excuses. You know, I. Uh, but we're just, you know, this is our first time. We don't know what's really going to come of it. I know that we need a lot of help, and Deborah just really wants to do it. And all of the money is going to go towards. It's going to be earmarked towards the operation of the the ultrasound machine, and it'll be a great time. Um, Joshua said he's going to make us. Um, Vietnamese sandwiches, which I don't know what they are, but I guess they're like Subway with Vietnamese ingredients. And I'm like, I'm so there just for the food. It's different, and I love food. And it looks like it's really good. So we, uh, um, so come out, and it'll be a good time, and, and, you know, it'll be a blessing for us. And hopefully, you know, I, you know these people are big into yard sales, so I think we could re- raise some money. Um, and then next week, the, the fellowship with the football game, we intentionally chose the date when it was in Denver because we wouldn't have to suffer a blackout like today's game. And, and if, for the potluck, we're going to provide like hot dogs and drinks and the side dishes. Just kind of think finger foods and don't, be, don't stress out about it. If, it's, if you're not going to come because you're so stressed out about bringing something, then don't bring anything. Just show up, you know. 
that's probably what I'm going to do, you know, <laughs> like, so, but just, it's going to be a great time of fellowship and just spending time with each other. And these events, it's because we have two services, it's, it's hard to get to know everybody. And so it's a time kind of for all of us to kind of be together and enjoy one another. So we'll pray and we'll look at uh, Luke chapter 11. Father, we do thank you and praise you um, for your word, Lord. I just thank you that you've given us um, the Bible, Lord, that you have revealed um, things that we need to know about this life and eternity. Um, Father, we, as we just ask that as we study your word today, Lord, that your spirit would um, just illuminate the meaning of the text for us, Lord. Father, may your spirit uh, soften our hearts. Lord, help us to see um, how this applies to us in our life. Lord, may the story come alive. And we just thank you, Lord, so much um, for all that you're doing in our lives. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. Luke chapter 11, verse 14. And he was casting out a demon, and it was mute when the demon had gone out. The mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Belzebul, the ruler of the demons. Others, to test him, were demanding of him a sign from heaven. But he knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Belzebul. And if by Belzebul I cast out demons, by who do your sons cast them out? So they will be your judges. But if I cast out de demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and not finding any. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. While Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which you nursed. But he said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. As the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became assigned to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, Something greater than Jonah is here. No one after lighting a lamp puts it away in a cellar, nor under a basket, but on, a, on the lampstand so that those who enter may see the light. 
The eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, the whole body also is full of light. But when it is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Then watch out that the light in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no darkness in it, it will be wholly illuminated as when the lamp illumines you within its rays, with its rays. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for this text. We pray, Lord, that you would help us now as we work our way through it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this section is sort of a, it's a transition point. Jesus has made his way up into Jerusalem for the last Passover. We've taken a lot of time to get here. And now there's a lot of chapters ahead of us that happen in a short amount of time versus you know, a little bit of scripture that covers many, many years. Now it's very condensed. From this point on, from a teaching standpoint, it becomes very difficult. Um, I've been kind of, for the last month, I knew that this was the next text I would preach on. And it gets difficult. If you have a Bible that has like the red words in it, which I don't, if you turn the pages from chapter 11 all the way to chapter, like the end of chapter 19, you'll see that most of the pages are totally and completely red, meaning Jesus is, is beginning a, a very deep and long teaching period in the gospel of Luke. Luke is now telling us in chapter 11 in this story, Jesus is facing some, some resistance, some persecution. And then from this story on, he's going to begin sharing with his followers you're going to face persecution. If you follow after me, you're swimming upstream to the world standard. And so you're going to need some truths to help you along the way. And so he's going to start doing some serious teaching. His teaching is like he's God teaching and revealing this to us. Like I can grasp maybe 50% of what he says. And then there's stuff that's like clear. And it's like, whoa, like I need to chew on this for a while. Like, but I have like deadlines every Sunday, like, oh man, I've got to like share what it says. And so there's a lot of stuff that's going to require us to pray and really think through and to meditate upon. And he's going to help us along the way. But in today's story, he just finished teaching his disciples about prayer. They say, hey, Lord, we don't know how to pray. Can you teach us? And so he says, yeah, when you pray, pray like this. And he, he explains the Lord's prayer, which we looked at last week. And it's awesome, the Lord's Prayer. We, we don't have some God that's like distant from us. He's all-knowing. He tells us essentially to be an annoying person. Be the guy at three in the morning that won't go away because you need some bread. He says, ask me, ask, ask, ask. And he says, because of that persistence, the person will respond. He says, don't worry about troubling God. He can handle all of our prayer requests. He wants us to be communicating to him always. And that's awesome that the creator of the universe knows you, loves you, and still wants to communicate with you. And as this, that story kind of wraps down, verse 14 kind of paints the big picture of what happens. We're told here that... And, and he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, with the, and the crowds were amazed. So Jesus' crowd's kind of developing. He's teaching his disciples, and then there's this man. He can't speak. In the other Gospels, there, see, there's some confusions if the stories are the same or different. But there's a similar story, and some people 
believe that this man not only was mute, but he also couldn't see. But we don't really know if it's the same story or not. Luke only records him as not being able to speak. And so here's a guy, he can't speak. We're told that it's not because he had some accident as a kid, like he got a, or he had a tumor on his vocal cords, they had to do surgery, and then they had to like remove his vocal cords. We're told that he can't speak because a demon has come upon him and has restricted him from speaking. And Jesus casts out this demon from this man. And now the man's able to speak. But I don't know about you, but if you had to like not speak for a long time, and then suddenly you could speak again, like, man, I would be using my voice. Like, I couldn't speak for the last three weeks in church. I had to sit there and be quiet. It killed me. And especially the two churches where I didn't speak the language. So I, I'm like sitting there, my mind's trying to pick up words and figure stuff out. And so suddenly here, this guy who couldn't speak because a demon had come upon him. We don't know why a demon had come upon him. Jesus casts it out and he can speak. And I bet he's like praising God, thanking Jesus. Like whatever he's saying, we don't know. But what we do know is that he's speaking. And the people who saw this happen knew that this guy couldn't speak. And now he's speaking. And the reason he could speak is because of what Jesus did. And they were amazed. And this is a beautiful picture of a life that's changed through Christ. In my own life, in the life of other people, like when a life is changed by Christ, it always surprises me the resistance of people and the, the attack that comes when a person says, you know, I was blind, but now I can see. And all I know is Jesus did. Oh, whatever. I'm glad your hope, like I'm glad you were able to fix yourself and what, you know, whatever. Just this, this skepticness behind God moving in a person's life. And so in this crowd of people who are amazed, two groups are going to kind of show up. Verse 15, we see the first group says, but some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Beelzebul was a a play on words, the Lord of the flies, which the Jewish people referred to as Satan. And so they're saying, yeah, he cast out that demon from that man, but he's doing it for the devil. He's not operating from God. This is a demonic act happening. Whoa, that's a pretty big, like, threat given to Jesus. Now, the second group in verse 16, others to test him. This was a test to him. It wasn't that they sincerely wanted, uh, you know, anything to validate. They said others to test him were demanding of him a sign from heaven. He just made a guy that couldn't speak. If you're just going to go from a humanistic perspective, not even the spiritual side, Here's a guy who can't talk. Jesus now does something, and now the guy can talk. That seems like a pretty big miracle in my book. And now they're demanding of him to test him. Well, we want to see an even bigger miracle. And I don't know about you, but I've caught myself in my life saying, in those seasons of where your faith is being challenged, and be like, oh, Lord, if you could like just do, you fill in the blank, then my faith will be solid. No, it won't. Like they just saw this or I think, oh, if only if I lived during Jesus's time and I saw all of this stuff, like if I saw him raised from the dead, man, I would be like the rock star person of faith. But it wasn't true. People were doubters, were skeptics. And so verse 17, he said, but he knew their thoughts. 
All through Luke, Jesus responds not based on what they're saying, but by the condition of their heart. He's God. Only God can read our... Satan doesn't know our thoughts. He doesn't know our minds. He doesn't know our intent. He's not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. But God is. And so Jesus in a crowd, like, he can hear everything that they're thinking inside. And he can hear everything that you're thinking inside. And so he responds to what he knows of their thoughts. And he said to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. So first, any kingdom, you go around the world, and if there's a kingdom that's divided, that's called civil war. And if a a kingdom is not united, it's going to fall. Like we just saw, like I think the most recent falling is in Sudan. There's now North and South Sudan. Years of bloody violence. And now they've fallen in their two nations. And he says, any nation. And then he breaks it down to even the more local level. A house divided against itself falls. Like in your home, if there's strife between your marriage, it, it, it can only go on so long before it crumbles. And so he's using, ver- this, is, this is just reality. And then he, from verses 18, 19, and 20, he uses three ifs. So based on what you're saying, let's just assume if this is true. Let's look at it logically. Verse 18, if Satan also is divided against himself like a kingdom or like a household. Let's just say, okay, Satan is divided. How will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. So what you're saying is, he's like, let me just get this straight. So what you're saying is Satan is going around putting demons into people, possessing them. And now he's using me to go around and take out all the demons. He's like, this doesn't, if, if Satan is demon possessing people and removing them, we would have no demon possessed people. This doesn't make any sense. Why would Satan do that and then take them all out? I can just see the look on the face. We don't really like what you're saying. This doesn't, that makes total sense, but I'm not going to hear you. Verse 19, he says, and if, like, okay, the second theory. And if by Beelzebul, I cast out demons, by who do your sons cast them out? Now, your priests, they do demon exorcisms. Who, who do they, like, so are they operating by Satan? No, no, of course not. You know, he says, so, so they will be your judges. He kind of points out, hey, you guys are using a sort of a double standard. When I do this, you're saying I'm doing it under Satan's authority and Satan's rule. When your guys do it, you're saying, oh, it's by the hand of God. Go tell them that they're doing this. Go say the same thing to them and let's see how they judge you for what they say. And then he says, this is like the whole, you better be careful when you're dealing with God. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, notice the fingertip, like it's like the finger, like Jesus, his, he, like casting out demons, he has so much authority over everything. He, all of his cast out demons, it's like the fingertip. This isn't an effort. He's not in battle with Satan over this. It's just by the fingertip of God, he's casting these things out. He says, but if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. <laughs> I mean, if I was there, like goosebumps. I just see a guy cast out this, and he's already, he's been claiming to be God. Don't let anybody tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God. We go back to, I think it was Luke chapter 4, when he goes into his whole hometown of Nazareth. It's time for the reading of the scrolls. He gets up, he reads from Isaiah, and he says, Today this has been fulfilled in you, that the Messiah has come. He sits down, they run him out of town. 
He's been claiming to be the Messiah all along. He says, listen, if I'm doing this by the finger of God, there's no way that Satan is casting demons into people and then basically hurting himself by removing them. Your leaders, your spiritual leaders that remove Satan's demons, you give account to God. And if I'm doing the same thing, the kingdom of God is upon you. There's evidence of who I am. And then he's going to, verses pretty much from 21 down to um, 26, he's going to kind of unpack the first one. He's going to continue this line. Then he's going to come down and address the second issue about the signs, the miracles that the people wanted to see. So he says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. So here you have a house, you have your possessions. We don't really have so much security in the United States, but if you go to, you know, I know our missionaries in Africa, they have to hire an armed guard. And so if people come, there's an armed guard, kind of keeps everybody safe and secure. When they were on furlough here, the guard stayed at their house, watched all of their possessions. And he says, if you have an armed guard there, everything's going to be fine. But, verse 22, when somebody stronger than he attacks him and, and overpowers him, he takes away from him all of his, all his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. So somebody stronger comes in, overtakes the guard, strips him of his weapons, his defenses, and then he goes through the house, takes the plunder, and then he does whatever he wants with it. And Jesus is kind of saying, listen, I'm stronger than Satan. Satan has nothing on me. And I can kick these demons out and do whatever I want with them. He doesn't distribute how he wants because I've overpowered him. Now, you read commentaries on this whole text. It gets very confusing because it's like it's like way over everybody's head. Like we don't exactly quite understand. This is all like kind of what I'm, you know, from all of the stuff I've read and prayed about this week. Like he's, he's saying, listen, I came in. I'm God. Like the kingdom of God is upon you. I'm stronger than Satan. I can tell these demons with my finger to get out because I've conquered. They have no authority over me. And then verse 23, see, see now in this whole story, there's, there's a huge crowd and the crowd throughout the story is growing and building and getting larger and larger. There's those that were amazed by Jesus. There are those that were against him. There are those that were against him but wanted to sign and then you have this man that Jesus came and kicked the demon out of his life and he's able to speak. Like really, it seems like a nobody in the story as far as the religious leaders are concerned. But he's still right by Jesus' side. And Jesus cares about this man. And so then I just imagine at verse whatever, verse 23, that Jesus is now like kind of looking at this man in the eye and drawing a line in the sand. Like there's no neutral ground with jesus you're either against him or you're for him and he needs to win this guy so that he stays following jesus and he says he who is not with me is against me and he who does not gather with me scatters there's no neutral ground either you're with me because this is a battle this is spiritual warfare souls are on the line humanity's on the line jesus came to live the perfect life to redeem those who are lost. And he says, listen, you're either against me or you're for me. There's no like, there's no like safe box that you can kind of go to mull it over. If you're, 
mulling things over and you're still questioning Jesus, that's great. I encourage people to investigate. But you're not in a safe zone there. If you're like, well, I kind of like Jesus. I, I think he's got some good teachings. You know, I've been going to church to kind of check things out. Well, Jesus says, no, you're, you're not on his side until you've trusted in him, until he's become your savior. Other than that, you're his enemy, which is a hard, hard word. And as he's looking at this guy saying, either you're for me or you're against me, he says, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. So just because it's gone out, it's kind of like out there searching because the end hasn't come. A day will come when all of these demons and Satan will be cast into the lake of fire in eternity forever. And not finding any, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it, when it comes, it finds it swept and put over. Hey, this is my old place. Look how nice it is. Somebody cleaned while I was gone. Like getting back from vacation, that's what we all do. Like whether it's two days or like a month. It's so awesome to come back because you have to like clean it to like down to the bone. Because why do we not? We just don't like coming back to a dirty house. I don't care. Well, I can't speak for everybody. But that pretty much is like even people who are not the cleanest people like coming back to a clean place. You know, you show up to your house that first day. It's like, oh, man, it's like just like a motel. Why does it always look like this? Well, because you live there. And it, this is, finds it put in order, verse 26. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits. So he invites all his buddies over. More evil than itself. And they go in and they live there. And the last state of the man becomes worse than the first. Now, this is like. See, he is trying to get this guy in order. And if we look at the context next week, we're going to see a Pharisee is going to invite Jesus over for like lunch or dinner. And Jesus is going to slam them because they criticize him because like, dude, you only washed your hands. You didn't go through our whole like ceremonial cleansing ceremony, cleaning your whole external side. He says, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. It's not the outside that's dirty. It's the inside. There's religion. There's there's a bunch of laws about do's and don'ts about how you are made clean with God, and they've missed it. And I think here he's beginning to argue with this guy and with us. For me, before I became a Christian and like understood what this whole relationship with Jesus is all about, from the outside, realize like I knew that there was a part of me inside that was lacking God, that I wanted God. But my understanding of Christianity was really Ned Ned Flanders. For those of you that didn't laugh, you don't, you know, none of you laugh. It's from the Simpsons. It's the Christian neighbor that they totally like make fun of. Like his hair's combed, his shirt's tucked in. He talks very kindly. He's, and it's just this character. What's that big word? Caricature? Caricature? This, this cartoon of what a Christian's supposed to look like. And so I would go to church, I'd get around and I thought, well, if I want to get right with God, then I have to look like that guy. Like, and so then, okay, so that means I've got to change the way I talk. Because I, I had a sailor's mouth. Well, that guy doesn't drink, so I have to stop getting drunk. I have to um, look a certain way. I have to dress so that my tattoos aren't visible anymore. I've got to start doing this external cleaning up to get right with God. And during this process I have no idea when I became a Christian. Like, so this, like, I could have been a Christian doing this. I have no idea. I got to get to heaven to figure out when I became a Christian. I'm really curious. And so, 
But I, so one of the things was drinking. I knew I had a problem with drinking. And so I could do long stretches without drinking. They seem like a long stretch, like three weeks. Like I wouldn't drink. And I'd be so proud of myself. Then one of my friends would ask me from the teams to go out. And then I just like would just get annihilated. And then I would make it a month. And then I'd make it two months. And then I'd make it three months. But always kind of collapsing. And the longer I seemed to go, whenever I collapsed, it was horrible. Then by the end, like I remember like by the end of my not drinking. And when I say drinking, I'm talking about drunkenness. Like I remember going out with the buddies like after a long time. And it would be like I would take one sip of whatever I was drinking and already start feeling sick to my stomach. Like how is this happening? And see, God was changing the inside. I was trying to change the outside. And see, it's not about externals. Because you can clean yourself up on the outside. And you can try to, in your own strength, push through and try to be Christian. But then when you fall, it's like way worse. There's a saying with drug addicts that where you stop is where you start. And normally it's worse. Meaning that you can say you're addicted to some like major drug. And you haven't used for five years. People kind of have it in their mind. Well, it's been five years. So when I start, it's going to be like the first time all over again. But when they do it that one time, it's right where they left off. And it's like magnified. And Jesus is saying, you know, you try to go clean all the outside. The Satan's going to come in there and he's going to wreak havoc on you. And here's this guy. We don't know the situation why he was demon possessed. He's saying, don't follow these guys that want the external. You need to walk with me. Follow me. Trust in me and I will clean you. See, because the externals aren't what we shoot for. But when you walk with Christ, you change. See, I used to always say, oh, I don't want to become a Christian because, you know, I don't want to stop having fun. Like, and that's one that we use a lot. And then when I finally, like, truly became a Christian... What I found is, is as I walked with Jesus, like that whole like trying to have that sip of whatever it was and then just like getting sick on the inside. Like what I realized is Jesus changed fun for me. Like the things I do now are not the things I enjoyed back then. But the thing is, I'm not trying to be like this phony out from the outside in. It's like God has really kind of changed me over the course of like 15, 20 years. Like it didn't happen overnight for me. And he's telling this guy, just follow after me. Don't try to maintain your appearance. You need to walk after me and I'll start cleaning out the inside and, and I'll give you strength to protect yourself. This great verse is greater is he that is in you than is in the world. Like if you're a Christian and you have the spirit within you, you don't have to worry about everything else. Just stay close to Jesus. And, and so as he's talking to this, these women interrupt him. It's like the crowd's growing and somebody screams out while Jesus was saying these things. So he's like in the, like he's interrupted. He's still talking. One of the women in the crowd raised her voice to, and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which you nursed. She's kind of like, like here she's, this guy's the Messiah. How blessed is the lady that gave birth to you that, that nursed you. Like, Jesus is God. He existed in eternity past. He, came, he didn't come into creation at birth. He always existed. He humbled himself 
and was incarnated in the incarnation where he became a child. He didn't come out like golden child. He came out crying and screaming, not in sin, though, and a baby can sin. But his was like he needed food. Jesus was breastfed. His mom nursed him. Like he, I don't know that they had diapers back then, but he, the baby certainly went to the bathroom. I just don't know how they handled it back then. He went through all of that. And this lady screams out, that lady who cared for you that had God, the Messiah, born through her, she's blessed. And Mary was blessed. But see, I was raised, I was raised Catholic. And so in my growing in the scriptures and kind of coming to faith. I always say I didn't leave the Catholic church out of like theology. I left out of boredom. It was in boot camp. Long story. You guys probably already know it already. But then as I started reading the Bible, which I didn't do as a Catholic, every time that Mary's kind of mentioned, Jesus never venerates her. The scriptures never lift her up. Like, like here, this lady, and it's not the first time in Luke, this has already happened where Mary's trying to come in and Jesus kind of like says, those aren't my brother. My brothers and mothers are the ones who like listen and do the word of God. And here this lady's shouting out this compliment and Jesus response is like, yeah, she is hail Mary, mother of grace, full of, you know, like I've like starting to lose my, my hail Mary prayer. He didn't break out into like hail Mary. He said, but he said, on the contrary, what? This is your mom, Jesus? And she was, and she's blessed. But Jesus keeps the main thing, the main thing. Like in what I'm about to say, don't like see Protestants totally negate who Mary is. Like of all eternity, of all women born, God chose to come into through her. She's a great, like there's much we can learn from her. But he says, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. So don't start venerating her because she had me. You want to be blessed? Those who are blessed, who hear the word of God, my voice as I speak. And not only hear it, but they observe it, they do it, they respond to it. Which is the case he's going to start unpacking. And the crowds are still increasing, verse 29. And he began to say, this generation is a wicked generation. Jesus does not mince his words. As they're all approaching, you all are a wicked generation. But if you would have asked all of the people approaching, they're in Jerusalem. They're they're the Passover is coming. They're religious people. They keep God's commandments. They listen to the right kind of music. They read out the right translation. They listen to the right pastors. They do all of the things they're supposed to do. And they walk up and Jesus says, this is a wicked. Like this isn't a bad generation. This isn't. He's a wicked. It's an evil generation. I'm, I've been shocked. I mean, I knew it, but kind of going through Luke, Jesus's assault to the religious, to the, those that like were involved in religion and Judaism, he was harsh to them. This is a wicked generation. It seeks a sign and yet no sign will be given to it, but the sign of Jonah. And you think, huh? Like we all know about Jonah. Jonah. Jonah's way back then. It's funny because like, like Jonah actually is a very evangelistic book. Like that it's like this is in the Old Testament reaching all nations. 
And they get the sign of Jonah. It says, for just as Jonah became a sign for the Ninevites, so the Son of Man will be to this generation. See, it's fascinating. See, that if you start looking at the Ninevites, if you go to, well, we're not going to go there, but Nahum 3 talks about, like, as you went into Nineveh, like, it was just death and destruction, bodies stacked up. They're known for using bodies of people to put on post and to light on fire. That's how they got their, their knife. It was evil. And the, the victims of all of their brutality were often the Jewish people. And God tells Jonah to go there and to give a message. Jonah wasn't afraid of the Ninevites. He hated the Ninevites. He didn't want to go because what if they happened to change their... Like, what if they did what God wanted and they actually repented? That would be really bad because we hate them. And we don't want them to come to faith. And the key to understanding Jonah is to know that Jonah wrote Jonah. It's Jonah's confessional. It begins with God and it ends with God. And so Jonah finally, after he, you know, runs away, gets swallowed by the great fish... Whether he died or didn't die, I'm kind of under the speculation he died based on the Hebrew, but that's never here nor there. He says, that's the sign. And in the other, in Matthew, he says, you know, like, like him, I'm going to destroy the temple in three days and rise. And it'll be raised up third day later. Like, wait, it took us 80 years to build the temple. And if you go to Jerusalem and you see the temple, like this is massive, like 20 football fields or something on the inside court, not even the outer perimeter. It's huge. And he says, in three days, they're like, you're going to destroy it in three days? What are you talking about? Well, they all came to see that he was talking about the temple of his body. He said, just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be this generation. Jonah, what did he do? He walked into, he finally, on his, like, I think it was the second, God speaking to him the second time, I get the impression that Jonah walked into town kind of shuffling his feet. Like he was all stoked by the time he got burped out of the whale, but making that journey into Nineveh, seeing all of the, the body, human bodies, I get a picture. He rolled into town and he said, 40 days, God's judgment's coming on you. He did what you're supposed to do. And with that, everybody from the king all the way down, he declared a fast. They put on sackcloth. They put ashes on their head or dirt on their head. Even the animals had to fast. Everybody repented. And Jonah got angry. He was up on the hill like going, no, maybe this is, God will burn him, fry him. And he said, Jonah was assigned to them. And he goes on, the queen of the south will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them. See, the queen of the south, this is in 1 Kings chapter 10. The first 10 verses, Solomon's wisdom had made it around the world. And this queen spent much to get to him, to hear what he had to say. And he said, she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, something greater than Solomon is here. See, Solomon was impressive. He was the wisest man that ever lived. He had incredible wealth. But he's nothing compared to Jesus. And Jesus is there. And Jesus is looking at this crowd and saying, at the judgment day, at the end of all things, you're going to be there. And the queen of the south, she's going to stand up and condemn you because you rejected the Messiah, where you saw him it, with your own eyes, you could touch him. You could see his miracles. You, more than any other generation, had way more evidence for Jesus than anybody else. And yet you rejected him. And she's going to condemn you. 
he goes on to say, the, the men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation of judgment and condemn it. So the people that Jonah preached to that repented at judgment, the Ninevites and the Jewish people during this period of Jesus's time are going to stand up. And the Ninevites are going to speak judgment on them because they didn't respond to Jesus. Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. These are hard words. Like Jesus is like, this line in the sand is like, you know, he's got his pick out like kind of line. It's like you either have trusted in me and are fallen after me as Messiah or you're rejecting me. Great if you're, you know, really come into faith and you really want more evidence, but you haven't. But until then, you're on you're on enemy territory. And he's saying, I'm the Messiah. It's clear. There's not there's not a bunch of choices to make. There's me or you reject me. Like these are hard words. Like in my flesh, I don't like these. Like, it's way better that there's a bunch of different ways to get to heaven. Like, that, that, that's way more logical to me from a human perspective. Like, oh, well, just be good to people. And, and uh, you know, if you want to serve God this way or whatever. But Jesus makes it very clear. Either he's Messiah or he's not. And if he's Messiah, he writes the rule book. And we submit to it. Now, after saying this, he... And I kind of like, see, I picture him talking to the crowd and then also looking at the guy that he's just the, the, with the muteness resolved. Verse 33 says, no one after lighting a lamp puts it away in a cellar nor under a basket, but on a lampstand so that those who enter may see the lamp. So he's talking about a lamp. They didn't have electricity. You'd light a little, you know, candle or whatever. He says, who would light that and then like lock it away down below that so nobody can see the light? You put it up somewhere high so that the light can get out and all who enter can see it. And he says, the eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, the whole body is also full of light. But when it is bad, your body also is full of darkness. So he's talking about the eye like, and I don't know if he's talking our literal eye, or, but like the, the eye into our heart and soul. Remember, what, the response about Mary, he said, those who hear the word of God and obey it. Like, I think he's following this thread. Those of you who hear my words, you take them in, you process them. This is light. This is hearing what I'm saying. And if you live your life, your life in accordance with this, you have lightness in you. Verse 35, it says, then watch out that the light with the light in you is not darkness. That's a weird sentence. How can a light in you be darkness? <laughs> Black light. Thanks, Larry. You know, my whole thing. I don't think they had black lights back then, but, but it's like, so be, he's saying, be careful that the light, like what you stand for, who you are as a person, examine what light's coming out of you. And it says darkness In reading this, it reminds me of go over to Ephesians five, eight Ephesians chapter five. So Ephesians, hold your place. We're just going to be quickly there. I love Ephesians. And when we went through Ephesians, uh, I've been through Ephesians a bunch of times, and something jumped out at me when we went through Ephesians a year or so ago. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, um, well, actually verse 7, we'll start there. It says, therefore, don't be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness. See, it didn't say that you formally, like, were, like, you were standing in the shadows. Like, you were, you weren't dark, but you were, like, surrounded by darkness. It says, you were darkness. And how many of us would really admit, like, hey, 
Like I was darkness. I was evil before I knew Christ. But that's what the scripture tells us. Apart from Christ, you are darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Like going back to Luke, this is this kind of fits. Like Jesus saying, be careful that the light that is within you is light and not darkness. Like we can go to church, you can do all this stuff, but if you really step back and look at your life, like what things do you value? Like do you just come and like if you're like me as a kid, it was, man, do my hour on church on Sunday so I could get on with the rest of my week. And if I didn't fall asleep, I got a donut afterwards. That was the extent of my relationship with God. There was no... This was coming to church and do anything. Inside, I was darkness. Hated coming to church. I mean, and I don't use the word hate. Like, like I strongly disliked going to church as a kid. It was a battle every single week for my dad because I wasn't really taught this whole relationship thing. The message I got as a kid was literally, God has given you so much, the least you can do is give him an hour on Sunday. And I did not like giving him an hour on Sunday. And Jesus is saying, be cautious about that light. Like, what do you care about? What things are, are lighting your life up? He says, verse 36, if therefore the, your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it, you will be wholly illumined as when the lamp illumines you with its rays. And so I think what he's saying here is like, this is the importance to us who are, who've decided to trust in Christ. For all of us, even if you've rejected Christ, you, you need to change your position if you want to be right with God. This is the bottom line. That's hard to hear, but it's just the reality of the scriptures. Like you can reject what Jesus says, but we can't change what he says. God has revealed to us his word. This is God's revealed word to us. It came in Hebrew and Greek. The translations that we have are reliable. And he says, you want to live your life full of light? We need to take in the scripture. You need to read the Bible. You can't get enough just on Sunday. You need to be in the Word. You need to be praying. Asking God for help. Lord, it's a, it's a rough world we live in. Do you know my workplace? He's like, yeah, I know everybody. I created every single place at your workplace. I know everybody at your school. I know every single one of your friends. And you need to cling to me desperately to navigate these waters. And so to have light, we put, it, we, we put the Word into us. And then as we live our life, as we look at stuff, we see it through the lens of the scriptures. And it's a slow process. But you'll notice after you just read a little bit each day, you pray, you ask God. It's amazing how he uses the word to kind of help us and to protect us and to guide us in our lives. It's amazing. And so as I look in the story, and then we're going to, you know, this, the rest of this is Jesus going to start teaching yeah, it's a hard world we live in. I was persecuted. Here are the truths from God to help us live our lives in light of that our culture is going against us. Like the whole, re- like for the next seven or eight chapters is going to be a lot of Jesus's teaching. And when I look at the story, the, the main thing I see here is Jesus is drawing this very firm line in the sand. There's no purgatory. There's no like safety zone. You know, what was that game that you played? Um, where you stole the flag and you ran back and forth and you could get to capture the flag. That's a great name for this. Yeah, get the flags. But there's, there's no like safe zone. Like, okay, I'm in this safe zone and I'm kind of pondering the things about Jesus. So if I die here, I'm good because I'm kind of, you know, 
I'm, I'm interested. I'm open. But I haven't kind of, I haven't sealed the deal with him sort of thing. He makes it clear that unless you've accepted me, unless you're with me, you're my enemy. Now, he loves you. He's given his life for you. And I'm all for investigating your faith. That's why we always like stock up those case for Christ back there. Because I want you to reach the point where you say, you know what? Here's the evidence. Like you always need faith to come to, to make it right. Like there's, he's not going to do everything for you that you don't need faith. But there's a whole lot of evidence concerning who Jesus is and what he did. And our miracle that we need is the resurrection. And there's all kinds of people. I get questions like there's one guy, well, I'll not say where it's from, but he's a believer and he's dealing with somebody. And the guy, the things he's saying, he, 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 has, no, he has no intention of ever coming to, to faith in Christ. He's saying, well, if God existed, see, there's a website out there. God doesn't exist because he won't heal amputees. Like if God was real, he would, you could pray and an amputee's arm or leg or whatever could be restored. It's like, you better be careful like the logic you use. Like he gave the resurrection. Our hope's not in this life, hope's in the afterlife. And the same people that will reject who Christ is, they put all their faith in humanity. And if you look at like the bad statistics about humans against humans, like how many people have been killed, how many bad things have happened, I, I don't know that there's much evidence supporting humanity that we really can trust ourselves. And Jesus' logic here is like, look it, I'm God. Trust me, this is where you're safe. And it's not about just cleaning up your outside, doing a bunch of religion. It's about letting me come into your heart, allowing me to start cleaning up shop, and he will. You'll change, but our goal isn't the external change. Our goal is the internal change. And so, Father, we do thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you um, for the story. I thank you for the life of Christ. That God, uh, being God, would think to humble himself, as Philippians 2 says, that he'd humble himself to become a man, a poor man, to be a, to serve, to be an example, and then to die for us that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. And then this is our example for how we are to be as followers. And Father, I do pray for those, Lord. It's a, it is a battle that we don't often see, but that you are battling for our souls. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us this ability to choose, that it's not forced love on our part. And Lord, I pray for those in this room, Lord, that maybe haven't come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Father, I pray that you would guard us um, from religion. Lord, that we come here to worship, to fellowship with one another out of love for you, not trying to make ourselves pretty on the outside. Father, we pray that you would have residence in our hearts. Lord, help our eyes to be light. Lord, that we would take in your word that it would take root in our hearts, that we would navigate this life, Lord, uh, depending upon you. And Lord, we need help because we are, our flesh is so powerful and is so evil and wicked. And Lord, if we stray from you for even a moment, Lord, it's 
it's hard and we need you. And so, Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would continue to guide us and direct us, Lord. We love you, Father, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.